This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 167, and I'm interviewing Jennifer Hollinshead, registered clinical counselor and founder of Peak Resilience, about how to navigate feelings of uncertainty, how you can learn to surrender control, and how to take care of your mental health with self-care, especially during these unprecedented times. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 167. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to Court16, who left this really, really awesome review. Thank you, Summer. I have been listening to your podcast for a couple months now. The episode that really hit me in the feels and made me dig deep inside to figure out what in the world is going on with me was the comparison episode. Wow, I never realized how much I do compare myself to others. I appreciate that you give us tools to use to try to figure out how to navigate our feelings in every episode. If you are looking for a clear cut, no BS podcast that gives you not only scientific evidence on why we behave the way we do, but also gives you the tools to navigate these topics, Summer's podcast is for you. Thank you so much. That's an amazing review and really means a lot to me. So thank you. Thank you so, so much. If you have not done so already, I would love it if you left a review for the show. You can go to iTunes and click ratings and reviews, then click to leave a review. It helps others to find this show and the information that you're learning here. You can also subscribe to the show via whatever platform that you use. So whether that is Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or any of the other ones that are out there, that also helps people find the show by subscribing to it. So I would really appreciate it if you took two seconds to do that. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. Today, I'm talking to Jennifer Hollinshead. Jennifer is a registered clinical counselor and founder of Peak Resilience, a leading counseling practice in downtown Vancouver, BC, where I live. Jennifer started Peak Resilience with a dream of creating an extremely high quality counseling experience for clients and counselors as a way to celebrate therapy. Jennifer discovered that when she brought a feminist lens into her work with many clients, they experienced much better therapeutic results in a shorter time frame. She also found this in her own life, that understanding feminist ideas and principles really helped heal from oppression and find her voice. Jennifer is committed to growing a sustainable, healthy counseling community that focuses on challenging and reversing systemic oppression and helping people love themselves more. 
So for the record, Jennifer is not my therapist, but one of the therapists at her clinic is my therapist um, and helped me when um, my dad suddenly passed away in the fall. Uh, So I was really excited to connect with Jennifer and talk about mental health self-care. And this one is relevant to everything that's going on right now with COVID-19 and being in quarantine and dealing with uncertainty and all the stuff that comes up around that. So I think that you're going to take away a lot from this show as I did. Enjoy. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you too. I'd love you to start out by just telling everyone a little bit about your story and what inspired you to become a counselor and open up Peak Resilience. Yeah, I'm going to try and shorten it up because it, you know, it takes a while to get through. So um, yeah, I, I kind of tell people I, I always wanted to help um, as as a human. I, I wanted to be a doctor and uh, and then I realized you have to know a lot of science and um, <laughs> it requires more studying than I wanted to do when I was in my 20s. And so I um, went into psychology because it was just really interesting to me. And then, you know, I had a a bachelor's degree in psychology, which everyone jokes, you know, you can't do anything with. And so I, I just randomly got um, a job as a, as an overnight shift relief worker at a domestic violence shelter, actually. And it was, it was from there that I really knew that this was the right fit for me, uh, sort of helping people through really difficult times. And that's when I also learned a lot about feminism and looking at how survivors of domestic violence resist abuse in in subtle and not subtle ways. So that's where I started to challenge the messages that I had internalized um, from our patriarchal, capitalist, colonialist culture. And yeah, after that, I got uh, I got a master's degree in counseling psychology and and just continued to get more um, post grad training, helping people through trauma and uh, mainly sexual violence is what I specialized in. And, um, but the, the one side, like I loved my job, I loved counseling, but I, I had a shelf life at every, at every organization that I worked at. I would work in government organizations and in university settings and in all of these different settings. And I would always get burnt out. I would always be scheduled with more clients than I could handle. And, uh, And, you know, there were different forces of oppression in those work environments. So I started, I created Peak Resilience about five years ago when I fantasized basically about like, what would it look like to actually have a supportive environment for therapists so that they could be them themselves and do their best work sustainably and not burn out um, and not get, you know, negatively impacted by the work. So that's where I, I created peak and I wanted it to be very overtly political because I truly believe that taking a intersectional feminist stance in therapy ensures that I make fewer mistakes that would harm clients basically. Mhm. What are what are some of those mistakes just out of curiosity? I mean, as you know and as your listeners know, everything that we've taken in over a lifetime of living in this society and in this world is so um, sneaky, really, like it, you can have beliefs without really even knowing you have beliefs. And so and that's where kind of implicit bias comes in. But an example that I've 
used is when I'm working with people who have experienced sexual violence, one of the things that that counselors or helping professionals can do and that we're taught to do is help people experiencing abuse or domestic violence or sexual violence create what's called a safety plan. And so you kind of brainstorm ways that they can keep themselves, you know, physically safe and for domestic violence uh, survivors, like we would talk about, okay, having a backpack ready to go or whatever. But unfortunately, if, if you're doing safety planning and you're not actively challenging the way it's normally done, it can be done in a way that's basically sort of communicating to the person that I'm going to help you keep yourself safe because you didn't keep yourself safe. And so you need me to tell you how to keep yourself safe. And, and it's sort of in a, in a very subtle way, blaming them for the violence that happened to them. And, and it's not even, you know, true in a sense that most sexual violence happens when you know the person. So it's like creating this safety plan. It's very um, complex because most violence actually happens within relationships. So we just have to know about this sort of stuff so that we don't unintentionally harm clients with the same oppression that they're experiencing in day-to-day life. Yes. Like I, I've had clients come to me and with like their, with body image concerns, like, you know, they, they hate their body and their, their therapist has given them the advice to go on a diet. And it's like, yes, absolutely. That's a great <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, Oh my God. Um, so it's, it's so wonderful to, and I, and you can, and you, you know, you can, I'd love to know your opinion, but it's like, it's so important to have um, and to find a therapist that is social justice informed and takes that approach. Do you feel like that's something that's becoming more, you know, incorporated into the education of becoming a counselor? Or do you feel like that's something that you kind of had to do on your own after? Yeah, there's a little, I think it's more and more prevalent in, cause I graduated from my master's in 2009. And so, you know, I think, I think I literally had like one diversity, cultural safety course in my master's that was supposed to prepare me for being an ethical counselor um, and culturally competent counselor. So yeah, after the, you know, training from your education, I definitely had to search out different training in social justice and social activism for sure. Yeah, But I think it's getting better (laughs) slowly. Yeah, I feel like the the therapists that I, you know, sort of either network with or follow online, they, you know, they're very much coming from that perspective, but, and it sort of jades me into thinking, okay, there, there's an increase in it, but I wasn't sure if that was just, you know, my, because I'm more exposed to that network of individuals. But I, that, I mean, obviously that's one of the reasons why I chose peak resilience for myself. It was very, very important to me to be able to, you know, work with someone who comes from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you. That's how we feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and like, and because you have so many people as part of your clinic, like it's, it it's, that's amazing. I feel like that's like, I was like, yes, like, this is so amazing yeah. to see, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know of any places like that. And I obviously I haven't done extensive research or anything like that. But I was like, this is like, 
more of this, please. <laughs> I know. And I got to say, I mean, I am unbelievably grateful to the people on my team. Like they, uh, we all support each other in doing this work and I don't know what I would do without them. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome to have a big team cause we can kind of crowdsource ideas and have a diversity of opinion. Yeah. And so, you know, you, like you, you started this business, you've got this big team. What were some of the challenges that you faced in, in starting that? Like, did you have to overcome any adversity as a female entrepreneur? I basically, like I said, in the beginning, I started the business basically from a fantasy perspective. I had no business training. I had, you know, no financial training. And so it was very much a, uh, an exercise in trying to believe in myself and, and sort of believing in the dream, maybe more than myself at, at the beginning. Because <laughs> it was it, it was very nerve wracking and very insecurity provoking and scary. And I, I started off just with me. And that's the other thing. It's like, if I had started this business and started with, you know, 20 people on the team, there's no way. And that's the piece that I think is important for, for entrepreneurs. But I think specifically, uh, women and people who identify as feminine, I think it's really important to remember that you just do one thing at a time and you continue to learn how to do the next thing that seems too hard. So that's all I've done. And it is terrifying. Like I was doing things while being very scared. And I, I tried to get a lot of support and I was talking to my loved ones all the time about it. And I'm sure they got sick of it, but (laughs) yeah, it's, it's very nerve wracking for sure. Yeah. Well, you said two really good things there, like just that I think are pertinent for anyone who's thinking about doing something on their own or just, you know, playing bigger in their lives. And that is kind of believing in the dream more than yourself, because we're, I think we all have, those doubts about what's possible for us. And, and also just, yeah, like kind of learning one thing and then figuring out, okay, what's next? Like that's makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It was really like the sort of in service piece. Like I, I just really wanted a practice like this to exist for counselors first off. And then I wanted, cause, cause we can do our best work like this. And then I really wanted to have that feminine feminist perspective for, for our clients, because that's what I wanted too. So it was really selfish in general. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in a good way. <laughs> yes and no, selfish, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to kind of shift gears because I would love to talk to you about, you know, everything that's going on right now with COVID-19 and being, you know, kind of in quarantine. And like the people listening to the show are all probably at different stages of that, depending on where they live. And so I would love to kind of talk about like mental health, self-care and things like that. But from your perspective, how do you see everything that's going on influencing people's feelings of anxiety or depression? I mean, I think it's so multifaceted because almost everything in our world and in society has been sort of affected or changed or impacted by what's happening right now. And I think um, it impacts people's mental health, mainly from a, you know, uncertainty perspective. So not being able to have control and and the general control that we had in the before times, (laughs) um, before COVID was absolutely an illusion that we would, you know, pretend that we had control over our lives, even though in reality, 
you know that, you know, tomorrow everything could change hypothetically. But so this has really put it in our faces that we don't have control and human beings don't really like that, myself included. I love planning. I love organizing. You know, all of that makes me feel safer. And so my sort of resting state of, of dread, and that's the other thing is like, we're trying to differentiate between anxiety and dread because anxiety is a mental health condition. Anxiety is, is a medically diagnosable condition. And what a lot of people are experiencing, especially people at, who are even more impacted by COVID, like people who got laid off, people who are working on the front lines as truck drivers and, and you know, Walmart employees and, and frontline workers in the health profession, these are all people who are disproportionately affected, people of color. And so essentially the, the anxiety that we're saying that, oh, people have so much anxiety right now. No, it's a, it's a very rational reaction to a stressor. So I think, it, you know, what we've been talking to people about is the first thing that can come with anxiety is anxiety about your anxiety. <laughs> so a lot of people have noticed, you know, they feel jittery, they have shortness of breath, and then they're, and their thoughts are racing. And then they judge themselves for having that anxiety. What's wrong with me? Why can't I handle this, especially women, I would say. And, you know, how can I calm down? If I can't calm down, I won't be able to work. And, and then people get anxious over how they're feeling. So the first thing we try and do is just normalize that if you're a if you're a human, you are going to be affected in some way by this. And that doesn't mean that there's a problem. And obviously, if people's functioning gets impacted, that's when, you know, we can we can support people and, and they might be able to reach out for help. But yeah, the first thing that I tell people is like, just remember that this is scary and nerve wracking. So why don't we work on taking care of ourselves and each other as opposed to you know, worrying about how much anxiety we have. <laughs> mm. I, I mean, you use the word dread, which I think is the first time I've really heard someone use that word to describe the situation and, and like the feelings or the feelings that are coming up. I just noticed yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's intense. And I think what I've noticed myself, uh, as well as other people who have more privilege is this is a bit of a newer experience versus if we if we think about people who are, you know, really sort of in the opiate opiate catastrophe and indigenous people and people of color, like this level of dread is is not new to actually most people on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, most people on the planet don't actually have a lot of stability and safety and you know, so so I think it's just a really cool opportunity to be able to support the people in our society that actually keep it going, which it, which are the people who are essentially making the least money and, and getting the least support. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you mentioned just people really struggling with uncertainty, but and you also said like, but the control we have was con- the, the control we had before the pandemic was kind of a fallacy anyways. Um, but I'm curious to know, like, what advice do you have for people to help them try to surrender control? <laughs> That's 
Oh my God. The million dollar question. (laughs) It's so hard. I joke with everyone that I am a absolute control freak and I will own that. And I love control and it feels good. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, I will uh, recognize that and I absolutely try and keep it in check and, and practice letting go, but it is very hard. And so I think as a team, we have team check-ins a couple times a week over Zoom and, and we're checking in over Slack, you know, now and then too. And I think as therapists, what we've, we've decided is just, let's just decide and, and acknowledge that we are all on a roller coaster and the highs are way higher than, than they've ever been for a lot of people, because I've noticed like, I'm connecting with my son in different ways that I've never connected before. And it's beautiful. And the nature is, you know, even more beautiful because there's less pollution. And there are some really cool things that are happening because the world is topsy turvy. And the lows on the roller coaster are pretty brutal. So we've just tried to normalize that this is going to be a roller coaster and like, try as much as you can to not fight that. And, you know, cause we get a lot of messages like just continue to be productive and just do all the things. And yeah, it's self-compassion and allowing yourself to have all the feelings and then also numbing out when you need to through Netflix or whatever. Like to me, I think having self-compassion and, and seeing yourself as a human who has emotions and cannot be productive at all points in time. I think those are the biggest things to remember. And then all the other, you know, coping strategies can go on top of that. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that's so hard. Like I think so many people are worried about their job, or if they've lost their job, you know, when they're going to be able to get work again, or if they have kids at home, like when they're going to have childcare again. And, um, it's just so difficult to not be kind of thinking every minute, what if, what if, or like, what, what, when's this going to stop or what's next? Or, you know, am I going to lose my job? Like it's, it's really, it feels kind of like a lot of the time is spent, you know, walking on eggshells in a way. Absolutely. Yep. It, uh, and then, you know, I even, I, I was talking to my parents, uh, yesterday and, just about how we're all feeling and, and, you know, they're older. And so they more at risk and that sort of thing. And it's so interesting because they said that the other day they forgot their masks to go grocery shopping and they were like basically holding their breath, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like, or trying to, obviously you can't. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. And it's so true. Like it is very much walking on eggshells for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about mental health self-care here. And I know that something that I, I really had to set boundaries around was like just consumption of media. But at the same time, I think it's like, it's important to know what's going on. And now like in this moment, there's all the stuff about you know, how this is just like a big plan by the government to like overtake all of us and whatever, (laughs) like all the conspiracy theories. Um, So I'm curious to know, like, how can we take care of our mental health with all of the, like the negative news that's, that's just barraging us at all points in time? Yeah. So I was just having, um, I I attend supervision um, groups where we all just sort of get more perspective and supervision on the work we're doing. And we were talking about COVID and, and 
how the media is portraying it and how interesting it is that, I mean, obviously it's a huge problem and it's a global pandemic and it's, it's uh, a very serious thing that the media should be covering, but it's just really interesting that all of a sudden the opioid crisis and, and the way that that's been handled. I mean, more people were dying every day from that. And, and now it's not really being talked about too much and, you know, indigenous rights, right? Like, so I guess I want to bring back the idea that our mental health is linked to the environment and to the systems that we are living in. And so what I have, this is just me. This is just how I've been coping, what I've been telling myself. So I'm not prescribing this. I'm just sharing. I have been deciding on my good days that because the world is so disrupted and and kind of upside down and a lot of the systems economy wise and everything have been drastically impacted i am choosing to believe that basically a new world can hopefully be sort of distilled from this eventually new systems can be put in place you know maybe some universal income for example that's at a livable wage and and stuff like that so that is what gives me hope. And that's what also gives me motivation for what I'm doing. So hope and motivation really help me and my mental health. And then in terms of self care, I think the biggest thing that I'm doing is trying to actively challenge the guilt and get angry at the guilt that I have when I'm engaging in self care and when I'm not being productive. So what that looks like to me is basically arguing in my mind you know, like I, uh, I like to, I like to go for very slow, short runs, um, to get alone time and to get some endorphins going. And, um, you know, I, I remember on a Saturday trying to get out the door to go for a longer one. And my son is just like, mommy, mommy, don't leave, don't leave. And I just have so much, you know, they call it mom guilt, but it's essentially feminine, female women's guilt that we're programmed with. Um, whenever we take care of ourselves, we're not care- taking care of others. And that's a problem in our society and in our system. So, so that's what I try, like, again, like, that's what I'm saying on my good days, I want to validate and normalize on my bad days. Like, I was in a shame spiral the other day where I, you know, ate 10 cookies, and it just and I was numbing out and watching TV. And not that I'm, you know, opposed to eating a whole bunch of cookies, but I could tell that it was because I was not wanting to feel my feelings. And so like, and I snap at my husband sometimes, like, I just want to validate, like, I'm going through these exact same struggles as as everyone else. And so, you know, it's sometimes I, I think that it can come across like, oh, I'm a counselor. And so this is what I do for self care. (laughs) When realistically, I'm just as human as everyone else. And, you know, we all have uh, what I call ugly coping for, you know, now and then that coping we wouldn't tell people about day drinking, for example, or whatever, right? We have coping that we wouldn't be proud of. But that right now is coping. And that right now is survival. So I think the biggest thing is to challenge the guilt that comes along with self care. Yes. Okay. So yeah, you talked about getting angry at it. Like, 
play that oh, yeah. out. Play, 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 play that out for me. You said, I know you said you have a conversation in your head, but uh, I think I joke. I joke with all of my clients that I get I, I get riled up easily. You don't have to do a lot to get me all riled up. And I and I joke with my my team that I'm the the angriest feminist that there is. But um, <laughs> no, I it what it looks like is you know that example of me going for a run with you know all the mom guilt. So what it looked like was me walking out the door feeling unbelievable amounts of guilt and then feeling angry that I'm just going for a run and I'm feeling all this guilt like this is ridiculous and then talking myself through it like this is self-care this is what you're supposed to be doing you're doing a great job keep going and then the whole run was me arguing with myself you know how much self-care does someone need is it you know but um I guess it's not my whole thing is it's not perfect and I, I absolutely fall into the messages that I've internalized my whole life. You know, I fall into body shame. I fall into, you know, over-functioning and doing everything for everyone. Those are all things that I fall into. And so, yeah, nothing is, nothing is perfect on this end, but you just got to try. That's what I keep telling myself. No, I love, I love how you play out the conversation because I think it's like, it just speaks to the importance of, of the self-talk and like, like moving through it and knowing that there's not really a perfect ending. Like you didn't get to a point where you're like, okay, now I'm free of this guilt. It was kind oh, of Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Oh no. And you repeat. just left me. Yeah. No, it was, <laughs> yeah. I got yeah. home and I was like, okay, hey, I'm home now. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's the mom guilt is really huge. And I think it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, I just try to be like, I need to role model this. Otherwise, like, what he's learning is that, you know, that I, I put everyone else's needs first. And, and what he's seeing from a gender perspective is like women put everyone else's needs first. And, and I'm like, he's going to learn to be independent by me taking time for myself. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, not, I mean, he's with his dad, obviously, because he's too young to be totally independent, but, <laughs> but you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, speaking of like, you know, kind of being overproductive and things like that. Uh, there's, I feel like there's all these increased expectations that are, or are being put on us now. So like, there's that like meme that goes around that says like, okay, if you don't like come out of this with like a new, like if you haven't written a novel or, you know, learned a new trait or skill, or, you know, if you don't have like your homeschool chart color coded, like then you're like, there's, there's something wrong with you. Like, what's your advice to people? Like how, how, what's the best way to kind of manage those increased expectations and then the corresponding, like not enoughness feelings that go along with that? Yeah. Again, here's, here's what I'm choosing to believe because it gives me hope and motivation. What I'm choosing to believe is that those messages were from the before times. (laughs) Those messages were are from our society before COVID, before we actually realized as a society that the majority of the people holding us up are the people who are getting paid the least. And before we realized as a society that we actually do have to work together as humans to survive and all of these things. So these messages of you should write a novel, you should, you know, redecorate your entire house, you should whatever, are absolutely just capitalism. That's all it is. Capitalism and patriarchy, because if we're not being productive, like the system doesn't work. And so I look at, you know how there's like our appendix is a vestigial organ. 
like we don't actually need it. It's just like from old times, we don't need that organ anymore. That's what I'm choosing to believe those messages are. I'm choosing to believe that those are old messages that don't make any sense anymore based on this new reality and that have to actively be unlearned and and we need to relearn a new way of of thinking. For me it gives me fuel for the rebellion. I know yeah. not everyone feels that. Like I I I have that like very strong like rebellious side to me. Like if you tell me like you can't do that, I'll be like, "Oh, I'm going to do it." Or vice versa. And so I I find it easy to kind of be like, well, I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> but other people don't have that same rebellious streak. It's and it's and it, it is hard. But I think what I, I I love you've said it a couple times is just what you like what you choose to believe because it gives you hope and motivation. And I feel like that's like such a good perspective for people to play with and be curious about. Like what can they believe that would give them hope and motivation. Yeah, because I mean, I think I mean, what I've learned, I, I think a lot of other people are learning this too, is like the amount of like, we definitely don't know what's coming. Like, we don't know how long this plays out. We don't know how it ends. We don't know when the vaccine comes We, you know, all of the things that we're uncertain about. If I'm gonna make up a future, I might as well make up a good one that feels good to me. <laughs> um, yes. And that motivates me to do to do the work that's going to help bring that future into reality. So, and again, like I said, I still have my days (laughs) where that's not in my brain and I'm just hopeless. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a practice. You just try, try to believe that change is coming and happening. So for people who are, you know, in a situation where they're working from home, their kids are home, or even if they don't have kids, like, you know, it's just kind of the, the whole additional emotional baggage that they're carrying, like, and they really are just struggling to find time for self-care. I think this is probably more pertinent to people who have their kids at home, but what advice do you have in that situation? Like for people who are just like, I just don't have any time to care for myself in this because of everything that's going on and because I'm supposed to work full time and be a teacher and all this other stuff. I know. I think the first thing is, and it's so hard and it's even harder for people who are from marginalized communities to try to set boundaries, to try to ask for help. Again, I know that this is not doable for everyone. So it's, it's very much me coming from a privileged place to say, try to set boundaries and try to ask for as much help as you can. You know, I do know right now that there, there have been a lot more experiences of generosity and cooperation. And so people asking for help right now, hopefully might be more um, able to get it just because we are in this situation. But yeah, other than challenging guilt, challenging sort of capitalist messages that are making us feel bad for not doing all the things, those are those are really important practices. And then I think too, what I try and do is match my self care for where I'm at on the roller coaster that day. <laughs> so or that moment. So for example, most of the time right now, and it's not sustainable at all, but most of the time right now, I do have a sort of general sense of jitteriness and this like energy um, that, you know, some would call anxiety, I'm calling it just essentially a trauma response and a response to the situation that we're in. 
but basically when I'm feeling jittery and, and this sort of motivational energy, I try to do things that will have lasting effects. So for example, cleaning, it's like, okay, I'm cleaning. It's my self care right now because I'm basically obsessively cleaning and it's making me feel a little bit better. (laughs) And that is self care, right? Like I'm kind of joking about it, but that's an example of coping and having, and a lot of people are doing it right now, and then having tangible benefits after of a cleaner space that feels good. But, you know, so the way I framed it is, okay, your obsessive cleaning (laughs) actually is part of the way you're caring for, for yourself and the way you're responding to how you feel in that moment. It feels good to clean, so I'm going to clean. So matching the self-care with how you're feeling in the moment, you know, I'm exhausted, it feels good to take a nap, so I'm going to take a nap. And I, I have to continue to, you know, make a disclaimer that this is all coming from the fact that I have a partner, and I'm able to take breaks sometimes. And so I'm really encouraging people to just try and be as creative as, as they can be in their own situation. Yeah, Use the television. That's what it's there oh. for. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to share this. Um, we're all, a lot of us at, uh, on the team at Peak Resilience right now are, are reading um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Yes. And not that this is a plug for this book, but we're just, you know, we're really getting a lot from it in terms of um, trying to, you know, decrease our mom guilt. And anyway, she put a sort of public service announcement out on her Facebook where it's like a 12 minute video about how TV all day is the new normal and stop thinking about TV time. Every hour is TV time. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that actually. Like, stop feeling guilty. It's a global pandemic. Like, what are you doing? It, it's hilarious. I'll send it to you. <laughs> I feel like I, I watched so much TV when I was a kid because I was Me too. born in the eighties. And like, even my mom's like, Summer, you just put on Sesame Street. That's what I had on for you all the time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, and, okay. and here we are, we're still alive. So that's, that's good. I know, I know. But uh, yeah, I think it, that's, that's so important because there's such guilt around that. Like, oh, the guilt around screen time is just uh, massive. But And what I've been starting to get curious about is how does our mom guilt impact our families? Because I think it does come from a place of wanting to be the best mom ever. But at least for me, anyways, like I just want to try and do my best and be a good mom. But I see my mom guilt playing out in not so nice ways. Resentment towards my husband, snappiness, perfectionism, all of those things. And those are not only bad for me, they're bad for our family. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yes. Oh, it's such a good question to play with. And looking at it from a perspective of like, yeah, what's the residual impact of carrying that guilt? And how does that impact how everyone else is feeling in your network? Exactly. And your self-worth. It's like Mm -hmm. depositing your self-worth every time you say no to the mom guilt and yes to yourself. And it's so funny because right when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I say no to the mom guilt. And then the first thing I do is I feel guilty about having mom guilt because that means I'm a bad feminist. (laughs) Yeah, These are the hilarious paradoxes that we get trapped in. <laughs> it's a it's a hamster wheel. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
I know. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap it up here, but I really appreciate that. Such good advice here and so many good nuggets of wisdom. So I thank you so much for your time. Where can people find more of you? Well, um, yeah. And thank you for um, allowing me to essentially rant. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I love talking about this stuff and I love your everything that you're doing. And I'm so appreciative and we just need more of this. So anyone uh, can can see all of what we're doing at peak-resilience.com, our website. We have Instagram at Peak Resilience and Facebook at Peak Resilience. And then you can uh, see me, my bio uh, at peak-resilience.com slash Jennifer. Um, So yeah, we have free online COVID support groups right now for people who can't afford counseling. Um, We are actually, this is, I'm very excited. We're starting a consciousness raising parenting group about challenging some of the the narratives that are from the before times and what we don't want to continue to bring forward after COVID. So we're really excited about that. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I'll just check, look into that more too. Very good. I'll I'll send it your way. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. And if you're in BC, British Columbia, for those of you unfamiliar with BC, you do online stuff too, right? Like you'll see people. We do online online therapy. Yeah. We, we, um, Ethically, we can only provide therapy to people in BC because that's where we hold our licenses. But absolutely, we can um, point people in in the right direction for um, other services if if they're outside of BC and they want to reach out to us for questions. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Summer. That was awesome talking to you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. I took away a lot from that and I really appreciated Jennifer's honesty and vulnerability about her struggles because I think we often think that therapists and other health professionals need to know it all or they need to have it it all together in their own lives. And it's really nice to see someone share their struggles and know that they're human too, because I think that that's really important because no one is perfect and no one has their shit together completely. So you can find the links mentioned in this show, including the link to um, Glennon's book, as well as the um, Facebook post that Jennifer mentioned, uh, the one about TV time. Glennon Doyle is who I'm talking about at summerinandin.com forward slash 167. I hope you're all doing well and I will talk to you next time. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.